What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 86 of the podcast. We are very happy you're able to join us today. They say we learned the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show aims to do. We're going to interview an elite, and might I say an extremely elite, player today who has lost one to two games at a major event. We're going to talk about the mistakes that may or may not have made, how they plan to learn from them. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? We've all done it. I do it. Sully does it. Now, let's go to the Cherokee Open. The Cherokee Open is in, of course, Cherokee, North Carolina, and it is one of Frontline Gaming's premier events these days. We're going to be talking about Iron Hands losing a top eight battle to the unbeatable Dark Angels right now. Now, this is part one of the podcast. This part will be analyzing the game, discussing common mistakes, secondaries, and the target priority. And part two, which is available to subscribers on our Patreon. Check us out at the Art of War Competitive Network Patreon. We will be talking about how their list plays in the mile list, year list, everyone's list. We'll talk about list adjustments, new strategies, and don't forget the elite player mindset. My co-host today is comes from a land down under. He is one of the best players in the world. He is one of the premier players on the Australian national team. I'm talking about Matt Morisali. Man, my intro just gets better every time you do it. I just, I, my head is going to explode with the amount of air you're pumping into it, my dude. I feel like I need to come up with a little, like some, some fake, fake intros for you, you know, like I'm going to oh, make it. Yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, let's wanna, do it. <laughs> I want to I make a whole new fake persona for you every time from here on out. I can't but, wait. How you doing? How's the, how are things on the other side of the world? Things, things are great, man. Yeah. Really exciting. Um, you know, we've sort of had our, you know, little post, you know, end of the year Christmas lull out of the way. We've got lots of events coming up. You know, I've got, traveling sort of three out of the next five weeks to, to go play some tournaments in other states and see some cool people and, you know, start the WTC prep, man. So doing really well. When you come over here, is it really weird that you're walking on the ground and not on the ceiling? That's not how it works. Um, oh. But yes, uh, I did. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's weird for different reasons. It's more weird because you pronounce things wrong. And then when I accidentally swear <laughs> during the games, people get really offended. Uh, that's That's mostly <laughs> what happens. Oh, I love that. Uh, I'm never offended. There's certain people who are, I suppose. That's uh, that's unfortunate. Our guest today is someone who has been on Unbroken, I think, twice. This might be his third or fourth time. I'll have to really go back and see. But he is beloved by everybody, beloved by me, beloved by Soli. He is a national treasure, if you will. He has won a lot of things. You can just pick an event, and he's probably top eight at it or won it. I'm talking about the boy king himself, Mr. John Lennon. Hello, hello. Uh, it's good to be back. I wish that I could tell you how many times I've been on the show. Uh, three sounds right, though. Three does sound right. I, I want to say, because there's, I want to find this out, though, because there's an elite club called the the Three Pete Unbroken, and I think you just joined it with this episode. So it's you, Ogden, and I want to say Robert Moreland. I think Robert Moreland's the other random thirder. So, okay. I guess Jaime doesn't count. I think Jaime's I mean, been on, like, it's like a, in, all, in all forces, right? Jaime has been on as a co-host more than more than uh, two times, but I think as a guest, he's only been on twice. So he, I, don't, I don't think Jaime counts. I don't think he's in the three-peat club. All right. Well, uh, 
I guess you'll have to try to lose more. I'm going to give you a pin, like a special pin. It's like three, three little check marks or something. I, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. Cause I feel like that needs to be a thing that people have and they can like wear it to events. I feel like it needs to be like the triple L belt. Yeah. So three L's, <laughs> three L's in a triangle, like three, three L's making a triangle. It's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's perfect. With the, with the dice roll with the dice with the one in the middle. Absolutely. The only way to do it. Yeah. Blame it. You can blame it then. Oh, I will. I'm going to blame those dice so hard. Tell me about Cherokee. So it's player placed, I believe, right? Because it's frontline gaming. Yeah, absolutely. So this was uh, this was the Cherokee Open. It was player placed terrain, very similar format to the Las Vegas Open uh, for Matt. But because it was a smaller event than Las Vegas, they did not use all of the same tables. Uh, it meant that Cherokee Open was all on frontline terrain, but they only used about half of the train sets. Um, off of memory, they used uh, the sisters terrain, uh, the field base. They used the chaos gate, and then they used the um, the cathedral one. And so, so the sisters one, the one that has the um, the stained glass. Yeah, it's the the brand new one that just got launched at LVO. So that one's pretty sexy. similar format to LVO, but there was a little bit less variability where there was you weren't going to just accidentally play on Necron terrain or GW terrain or a hodgepodge of all of them because they uh, there was enough uh, uh, terrain, you know, of like what they consider their high quality tables to make the whole event that, and that definitely made the event more enjoyable and made it a lot easier to plan for. Um, so, and I think a lot of people enjoyed it. Uh, and, it seemed like everyone at Cherokee had a really, really good time, which is always important. I like that. There's stability when you know when you know your t- tables are going to be pretty even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a so it's a really fun event, a really good time. Uh, it's held in a casino similar to LVO, but the uh, I got to say that the North Carolina casinos and the Las Vegas casinos are not the same. Uh, this one was <laughs> much much nicer, had a much better view. There were windows, I could see the sun. Um, there wasn't a cloud of smoke in every hall. It was uh, it was actually a really nice venue. This is my first time at Cherokee. And, uh, you know, got to tip my hat there. It's a really, really fun event, really well run. I, I had a great time there. Um, so uh, kind of, I guess, uh, going into my mindset going into the event, um, I ended up playing Iron Hands, as was uh, heavily alluded to. And um, it was a little bit of a last minute decision for me because I was kind of like trying to like speed paint a guard army. And I realized I was just not getting it done in time. And I kind of gave up and then just submitted Iron Hands instead. I mostly gave up because uh, on the day lists were due, my my Kasserkin had not arrived in the mail yet, and I didn't have a, a tracking number on them, so I wasn't oh my gosh, really yeah. confident about whether or not I would have those Kasserkin. I'm stressed out for you right now. Yes, yeah, like I kind of like was like putting it together. I went back and I checked like the model submission, and I realized I mi- missed conversion approval by two weeks, and I was like, "Ooh, all right, we're just gonna we're just." I really didn't want to play guard without Kasserkin being blunt, because uh, that's a it's a bit of the appeal right now. So I just decided right. to go with uh, the old Iron Hands because my Space Marines are already painted. Yeah, they look nice too, man. Your guard looks good too, from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I'm really excited to get the guard on the table. I'm uh, uh, hopefully going to be getting it at a couple tournaments uh, before um, before the summer hits. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see about that. But I'm, I'm really excited for guard. Um, but they weren't ready, so I just like kind of went with an army that I knew that I already had and that I figured would be an, a relatively simple one to pick up with only a couple practice games. Nice. Tell us a little bit about your Iron Hands list. Is it pretty standard what we see, or is there kind of some some tricks to it? Yeah, hundred percent. So it, I'm not going to claim that it's revolutionary. Um, it's uh, it's an Iron Hand list that I um, I wrote it myself, but I definitely um, talked to uh, Innis and uh, uh, Anthony Vanella a little bit while I was writing it, um, just to kind of you know bounce some ideas off of them. Uh, I went with a very standard whirlwind of rage uh, master artisans. I love free rolls uh, whenever I can get them, and I love getting uh, just the exploding sixes in combat. Because I do firmly believe that I want some amount of counterpunch in every army I take to a tournament. Um, I can't. I can't do all guns. I just just doesn't feel right. So the list ended up being. Let's see if I can do this off memory. Uh, a Tech Marine Master of the Forge with um, 
uh, targeting protocols, which gives one free roll to hit, wound, and damage to an Iron Hand unit. Then a Primaris Lieutenant with a Storm Shield, uh, Rights of War Box of Spiritum, 2x5 Infiltrators, uh, Fast Attack with two Lame Speeder Tornadoes with multi meltas, as well as a Lame Speeder, a Storm Speeder Thunderstrike. Um, Elites, uh, this is where it got a little uh, funky, was a character Contemptor Dreadnought with literally all the goods. He's the Magic Man with, you know, he spent 3 CP and 195 points on him, and he's there to kill things. Oh, he's uh, gross. And he's gross. Then I had a 10 man van vet with 10 lightning claws, nine storm shields, one uh, honor blade. Then I had a uh, five man scout unit with all the free war gear in a land speeder storm. And that heavy support slot ended up being uh, three gladiator reapers, two devastators with three grab one multi melta in each. Of course, a bunch of free war gear on the sergeant, literally everywhere. And then finally, a drop pod uh, as part of the list. What in the world does the, does the gladiator reaper do? Uh, oh boy! <laughs> oh, you're in for a trade here, Blake. All right, all right, Blake. Let me let me give you the litany of offenses that this thing commits. Um, so the Gladiator Reaper is the anti-personnel one, but if you get good enough at anti-personnel, it becomes anti-tank, and that is because the Gladiator Reaper has 24 shots at uh, strength six AP two damage one thirty inch range, then four more shots at strength four AP two damage one, and this is of course building in the Devastator Doctrine that I will never leave uh, from the Heavy Stubber. Then it has D3 shots at 722 blast. And then it has rap- a cumulative rapid fire 8 of strength 4 AP 1 damage 1. So when I get to uh, 30 inches, I'm putting out 36 plus D3 shots. And when I get to 15 inches, I am putting out 44 plus D3 shots. So this thing used to cost a lot of money to put those guns on it, I guess. It definitely used to cost more. <laughs> Yeah, not, um, not only that, it's also toughness ace with fly and all yeah. of the good things. It's just very <laughs> hard to kill. It doesn't fly? It doesn't ah, fly. There you go. I'm wrong, but it's, it's still on toughness a flying ace. base. So I'll forgive you for assuming that the model on a flying base has fly, but uh, it kind of has monolith syndrome. Yeah, and it has um, it has the the minus two to charge strat as well, right? So it's a great screen. It's just it's really useful. Um, it's one it's such a cool charge, thing. One seat, yeah. fall back and shoot generically which yeah. gives an Iron Hands army that doesn't have access to that for being Iron Hands some really good options, because that means that my speeders and my um, my gladiators, each one, I can have one of each fallback for a CP and shoot. So I have two different one CP fallback and shoot strats that work on one on speeders, one on gladiators. Uh, it's just, it's only 150 points, so it's relatively thick, you know, T8, 12 wounds, three farmer save. It's not, not fragile, um, but then it's also just putting out a ton of anti-personnel power, and almost all of those weapons that I uh, listed were heavy, which means that they all reroll ones to hit when I'm an iron hit. This is this is really irritating. So I'm looking at the profile, and one of his abilities is a, it says hover tank, and it doesn't have fly. It doesn't have fly. Yep. Ah, that's irritating. I don't like that. But okay. it's um yeah, it's offensive, man. Like what what I've seen, and I don't think this is quite. I don't know. Maybe it's hobby lag or something. Because I know Ennis was talking about these. You know, right as the uh, the updates were dropping, right. But these feel like they are such a plug-in to so many other Marine armies, even like combat Marines. We can just plug this in, and you have Dakar, uh, and they feel offensively good for 150 points. Oh yeah, um, very good. I'm absolutely running these in my Ultramarines as well. Like these are in my Space Marine lists. Um, I got a little bit lucky. I think the hobby lag is real because they went out of stock basically immediately. Uh, luckily for me, uh, my policy. Uh, whenever I'm at a store and I get a little bit of store credit is to buy space marines because every local store has some has some amount of space marines in stock. So like a year or two ago in the middle of like Drukari summer, uh, when I just like was at a store getting price support, 
uh, if I if I go home without spending it, I'll just like lose it or forget about it, especially if I'm traveling. So I just go and grab like Primaris Space Marines off the wall. And so that I had three of them. You're talking about the hot Drakari summer? Yeah, yeah, like when Dr- like yeah, like when Drakari were like insane. Oh yeah, that was like, terrible. Back then I <laughs> bought three gladiators because I just had a price support and they were on the shelf. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, well, you know, you, you grab the stuff that like hasn't been good in a while and eventually it'll come in. Yeah, comes around. Everything comes I, around. I wiped dust off the shrink wrap to get these boys on the table, but they were in shrink wrap and now they're on the table. I'll tell you a quick story. Actually, I had some uh, Admech stuff that was new in box and I was in my storage unit and I was like needing a box of those guys. And I was like, I didn't even know I had it. I just found them. And I was like, oh my gosh, I guess I, I got these at some point. So, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. It's, it's a good feeling. Um, so, look, I know we normally go and we talk about you know, list design choices and stuff in part two. But I think um, I'm really keen to hear why you went Iron Hands because there's a lot of Marine options right now. And I think before we talk about the game, I'd be really uh, interested to hear you know, why you chose Iron Hands, not necessarily like for this matchup in particular, but just why that, I guess, that Marine sub-faction appealed to you and, and your play style. Do you, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I chose Iron Hands 100% because they're very good all-rounders. Um, it's because I know that Iron Hands are very efficient. Um, I really like playing Marines as jack-of-all-trades, where I like leaning into shooting or leaning into combat, but then having some of the other element. And Iron Hands are a great way to get inherent combat buff or inherent shooting buffs, and then tech a little bit of combat in. And you just end up with a very efficient army that doesn't have to spend a lot of points on um, on kind of spare units. Um, I actually wanted to take Ultramarines, to um to Cherokee once I realized I wasn't taking guard. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to play a lot of games and I didn't have an Ultramarines list I was happy with. Uh, I ended up writing an Ultramarines list I liked in between list submission and playing the event, but I had to stick Iron Hands. Uh, and that was fine. The Iron Hands, Iron Hands were great and they're very fun as well. So uh, no regrets on that. But uh, I went with Iron Hands because they're very efficient. That's because they uh, in Devastator Doctrine, which you're gonna stay in, they get a um uh, re- they get the uh, reroll ones to hit with all heavy weapons and ignore the heavy penalty on infantry. And so you end up with an army that is just hilariously efficient at firing heavy weapons, and that plays really well into the secondary game that they've recently unlocked by dint of uh, Codex Warfare. And Codex Warfare is the, uh, the secondary where in the kill category, no less, in the purge enemy category, I get two points for every kill I get with a heavy weapon while in Dev Doctrine, which means that if my Iron Hands list shoots eight things to death at any point in the game, I get a 15. John, I want to bookmark here. I want you to tell me your ultramarine list in part two. Okay. I will uh, see if I can dig it up. Uh, Sully, why don't you go ahead and jump in. Tell us a little bit about the list that uh, Stephen Crawley was playing, that Dark Angel list. Yeah, so um, this one's interesting, and I haven't seen this list make its way over here yet. I think uh, everyone saw Dark Angels come out, and everyone was like, oh, my God, Plasma, oh, my God. Black Knights, oh my god, maybe not Hellblasters. Hellblasters are still kind of, still kind of crap. Um, but he's gone for the Terminator, uh, Terminator spec, and I've seen a few people taking one brick, you know, one and a half bricks. But, but we've gone all in here. So we've got um, Azrael with his Wallow trait. Uh, we've got Ezekiel with Mindworm, uh, Righteous Repugnance, and Engulfing Fear, um, an Interrogating Chaplain uh, with Excitation of Rage, Canicle of Hate. Um, and he has got the uh, Master Orator, um, a Telemaster with Arbiter's Gaze, because why wouldn't you? Uh, a unit of Infiltrators with the Helix Gauntlet, um, a Deathwing Ancient with the Penance uh, and Rites of War. Uh, and then we've got two Command Squads um, and then 30 Terminators. Every single Terminator here is a Thunderhammer Storm Shield model. There's two Cyclones in each of the, um, the big units. 
Uh, and then we've got uh, a Ravenwing Apothecary all the way down the bottom with the uh, Reliquary of the Repentance uh, and Selfless Healer, uh, and that obviously gives you the cool um, Black Knight bike strats and stuff that you can do there as well. So we have gone all in on the Chonk, all in on the uh, all in on the Terminators. I, I thought this was going to happen sooner rather than later. I was playing around with this as BA doing some stuff with like the seven inch rollable deep strike charges. I thought that was pretty cool. But when you go dark angels, you just get the, uh, you get the chonk. Um, and unfortunately for John, from what it sounds like, he's got a lot of um, high volume AP one. And there are a lot of two plus save seven headers with storm shields here. So I can kind of already see how this could go wrong, but um, I'm really keen to hear from, from John, how this game played out. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this game actually was played on the war games live stream. Um, so if anyone uh, hears this and then maybe wants to go check it out, uh, definitely would encourage you to. Uh, Joe runs a great streamer there, so check out War Games Live if you want to go back and watch this one from uh, top to bottom. But um, how this game kind of played out was we played on, um, I want to say it's Mission 12, uh, the one where you're, maybe tear down their icons, one where you're supposed to raise bombs, and that's the secondary. And uh, unfortunately, this was frontline gaming terrain, which means that there's a very crucial roll-off for several things, which is that the winner of the first roll-off who chooses to be defender simultaneously places the first piece of terrain and gets the first drop, which when we both have infiltrators and one of us does and one doesn't want terrain on the center objective, that's a big one. So Steven ends up winning the roll-off, plants a large ruin without windows on the center objective, and um, then he uh, uh, takes um, uh, whatever it's called, the Stubborn Defiance, as his uh, secondary and uh, gets to four deploy his infiltrators onto that objective. Um, so because if I had uh, won the roll off, then I could have put a crater on the middle and then put my infiltrators on his Stubborn Defiance that he doesn't get in his first command phase and just take five points off the cap right there, which would have been beautiful, I'm not going to lie. But the way that this game kind of went out down was that um, uh, Steven uh, won the roll off and then went second. And so I kind of had a battle through him having bottom of turn and the, the nice center rune there. And I kind of leaned into the stat check, if I'm being honest, where I knew, okay, Steven's army is all durable terminators. He has a little bit of shooting, but not that much. And, um, and I have a lot of, like, I have a lot of shooting, not nearly as much defense. I'm going to try to, like, keep my distance and just lay into him over and over and over and over and use the fact that I am faster than him. I wouldn't call myself a fast army, but I'm faster than him. <laughs> and uh, and try to use that to my advantage to just kind of keep hitting him and hope that by the end of it, he is just out of material and has fallen apart. And I leaned into that a little bit, which uh, is something that I regret. So the way that the game actually went down from that point is I went first, and I, uh, I just brought the drop pod in turn one, and I just started shooting Terminators. And I got, um, and I, I put two Gladiators in reserve. And so turn one, they obviously didn't come in, but I got... Uh, turn one, I got my Dreadnought, I got my Thunderstrike, I got my Gladiator on the table, I got all three of those shooting, I brought in the pod, and I got both the devs shooting. And turn one, I shot, I killed a number of Terminators, and I put the uh, the Scout uh, Speeder on the center objective to kind of give him a reason to come at me, and he didn't. He advanced to the center objective, decided not to declare a charge, and he just parked on it with rights of war. And so I shot him again with my whole army. And then, you know, then turn three, and again, uh, he he parked on the objectives. And then turn three, I brought in the next two gladiators from reserve and got them all shooting into the Terminators. And I hadn't lost a, a heavy support model at this point, so I was just still kind of cranking the guns into him. And I, I kept the 10-man uh, Van Vet together as a 10-man. So on top of three, I kept that 10-man. I spent four CP on damage output, and I yeeted that 10-man straight into the Terminator squad that I had been shooting. And... Um, then uh, he countercharged with the next Terminator unit, wipe, finished wiping them out, 
And then I just kept shooting him. And I'm, I'm going to be honest here. This is exactly what happened on turn five as well. And at the end of it, he had parked on his three objectives. He had not left them. He had not meddled with my banners. He had not meddled with my primary. And he still had a couple more points than me and a couple more and a couple too many Terminators alive. Um, I wish that I could, you know, talk about the daring feints uh, that happened in this game. But at the end of it, I hit him with an Iron Hands army. I activated every gun on the table every single turn. I got line of sight and he was still alive. Which was John, a little bit, a little bit scary. I know that you, you're the kind of person that has sat down and just analyzed this game. Probably after, after you lost, you probably went back, took a minute, went at dinner, and then on the way back, you're like, hmm, thinking about the game, what you could have done. Was there anything you felt like you could have done different in that game to to shift the score? Yeah. So I think the biggest problem was that I made my game plan past the math check, and now you can go back and do the math on like how much damage should a gladiator reaper do to terminators. You know, they hit on threes, they real ones, they wound on fours, they get a two-up save. And so the answer is that it shouldn't do a lot of damage, but it should do a little damage. And what happened was that it did no damage. <laughs> and I had too many activations where Gladiator Reaper led to zero failed saves. Um, and I, I think the... So what it came down to for me is that I wish that my list was a little bit different. And then I wish that I had a, kind of done a little bit more scoreboard projecting and worked out a different path. Because the way that the game ended up going, I think that the mission actually was very favorable for me because it was the drop bombs and he has to get on my side to do that. And at the end of the game, um, I had two bombs placed and I scored an eight on the bonus secondary. And he had um, zero bombs placed and therefore scored zero on it. And he still beat me on primary uh, because I got a, I got an eight every turn that scored eight, 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 eight. And he got a couple 12s in there uh, because, you know, 10 Terminators on the objective I denied him sometimes, but I did not deny him every time. Right. So I think where where it came down to for me was that I needed to use the I think the van vet push was actually where I lost the game because, you know, I, I crunched the numbers and I was like, all right, well, if I put the Vanguard veterans in assault doctrine, then I give them plus one to hit and then they're exploding sixes. And then I charge in with full lightning claws and I spend a CP. Then every six to wound is an additional wound. And you actually get to a fun point where you average 41 attacks. 41 wounds oh wow which is really funny to say out loud right uh where if you just hit roll the expected value you just every every hit roll averages a hit every wound roll averages a wound with reroll the wound and exploding sixes to wound and i kind of put a little bit too much faith in the math and i'm gonna be honest i did not leave much of a backup plan for if the math did not work and i think that i wish that i'd made my iron hands army just a little bit more dynamic meaning adding just a couple more fast units that play a little bit more rather than shoot harder, because in the list design phase, you know, pre-game, of course, a pre-tournament, I should say, um, I definitely leaned into, hmm, my list shoots hard, and let me just crank it up a little bit more. Let me just make sure it shoots a little bit harder, you know? Like, I don't want something to be too tough for me to kill in shooting. That's what my list does, so therefore I'm going to make it shoot even harder. Redundancy, right, right. Redundancy yeah, I'm rolls are good too at. much redundancy on the shooting and not enough redundancy on the mission play, because how it ends up working honestly is that most of the mission play in my list is the vanguard veterans the infiltrators and the infiltrators don't really get to exist near terminators and then um like the land speeder storm package which just delivers bodies into different places and that's very cool but it doesn't um you know i didn't really have enough to quite out mission him and my damage wasn't going to pass the damage check and then i didn't have enough mission play to really try to get the outscore play going are are you going to be taking Iron Hands in the future, or is your new iteration actually Ultramarines, though? Um, I don't expect that I'll be taking Iron Hands to a tournament soon. Um, I really enjoyed the army. It ended up being um, pretty fun to play. Um, I 
don't think I'm going to take him to, to a tournament soon, though, just um, the way my season's lining up. Um, I'll probably be playing either Ultra, Ultramarines if I play Space Marines, or I'll be playing um, uh, Guard uh, or Chaos Knights. Uh, those are kind of the armies that really interest me right now. Iron Hands was just, uh, eh, I don't really have my armies ready. Let me just grab something that I know it works and I don't have to put a ton of get games into testing the concept. I took a concept that worked, refined it for me, and played it, rather than me trying to come up with an entire something new, because the something new I was working on wasn't done being painted yet, and I didn't really have time to test the yeah. concept. I want to take something that was proven, because I know Iron Hands is good. You know, I didn't have to, like, test, ooh, do I need to do Iron Hands or Ultramarines? I'm like, it's great. I know Iron Hands is right. good. Let me just refine the list a little bit to be comfortable, and then work from there. Rerun once is great. <laughs> yeah, just, you, you don't have to buy a captain. <laughs> like, you, you just have a lieutenant, and then you already reroll ones. And then you reroll ones to wound, and then you have a free reroll, and then you're always plus one AP, and then you get points for killing people with guns. That's already what you're doing. And the list ends up scoring and shooting and punching very hard. Yeah, I think you've touched on a few really interesting uh, interesting things here, John. Like, I, like personally, I just I despise playing armies like this because I feel like I never want to play a game where my army just shoots and I know your army doesn't just shoot, but like, it feels like obviously the army's tuned to just shoot. Right. And then you come across something like this, right. That's like almost the perfect defensive profile, right? Like I think if you're designing this army and you're thinking about what don't I want to play, well, a whole bunch of guys with two plus saves or one plus saves in cover with storm shields is probably what you don't want to play. Um, and you can't always solve that. Like there are plenty of armies that, you know, shoot sort of half as well as the iron hands army, does and do other things too but even then you can't always solve it with math i think one thing we kind of we glazed over a little bit earlier on was um was secondary choices uh normally we sort of go through those do you do you know what you took and do you think you took the right secondaries do you think there was a a path where if you play the game differently with other choices you can kind of call that back because even like even like codex warfare here doesn't seem great because of how like how chunky the units are right like you have to kill full units and when three of the units are you know, really chunky Terminator units. That, that, that feels like it's not necessarily the greatest play. How did you, how did you feel about your secondary choices? Absolutely. So, um, uh, I, I definitely agree. This, this was the list that was going to, to, to take mine out. I definitely, when we kind of knew the top eight, I definitely was like, all right, I think this is the one that will give me the hardest time. Um, and sure enough, it, it did. Um, so my secondary choice in this game, you're hundred percent writing credit score for, by the way, I ended up taking Oath of Moment, Engage on All Fronts, and Banners. I went very outside of my normal wheelhouse. And I will say, I'm actually very proud of those choices because they all performed. Um, I think on Engage, I got a 12. I know I got the two points every single turn. And I think I got, I might have even gotten a 13. I got a 12 or a 13 on Engage because I got into the fourth quarter with a random land speeder for a Gladiator turn five uh, several times. So off memory, I think I got a 12 on Engage. Um, banners, I got a clean 10 on, uh, the old fashioned way. I raised two banners turn one on my side of the board. I never raised a banner on his side of the board. He never got to my side of the board. Got a 10. Um, and I don't think I was getting much better than that with an action secondary. And then, um, my final choice there ended up being, um, Oath of Moment, which is very weird, I know, because it involves getting in the center with the Iron Hands army. But the way that I kind of worked it out was that, uh, once I knew that he had the center ruin, if I just parked a land speeder on my half of the of the center ruin, if he wanted to come charge me, he had to get a number of models out of cover. And that's actually kind of hard. So I ended up doing random things. So he kind of has to shoot the land speeders to death if they're just parked on the other side. So I ended up getting a relatively decent score on Oath as well. Um, 
because I, I never fell, like, I think I only fell back once. Uh, so I got like four points there. I killed a character twice in two different turns. I think I held the center three times. And I think I ended up getting like a 12 on on oath as well, maybe an 11 or 12. And so and I looked at the other things in the categories. I could have taken no prisoners instead. Uh, no prisoners would have ended up, I think, I think I got an 11 on oath. And I think I mathed it out and I would have gotten a 10 or an 11 on no prisoners. But then no prisoners comes with the option of, oops, what if he just sits literally behind mm. the walls? Yeah. Then suddenly I lose any momentum at all. Whereas I took the secondaries I did in an attempt to make him play the game more so that I got to shoot him more because I thought my win condition was to go through his army, not around his army. So I yeah. think I took all of the right secondaries on my end. I actually think that my scoring plan went literally as well as it possibly could have. I think the problem was that I wasn't hitting his scoring plan hard enough. I think I, I lost in a race. I don't think I got um, I don't think I just got beat up. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's really great insight, man. Um, I think that especially, again, I, I'm, I don't want to oversimplify this and just call it, you know, a shooting army. But when people play armies like this, they build to kind of do one thing. Um, players very often get, like, stuck in saying, well, I'm building my army to do this. I've got these kill secondaries. I've got this board control secondary. I'm basically always going to play these things. And obviously when you get to, you know, a higher level of the game, you have to be really dynamic and take stuff you wouldn't normally take and take secondaries to sort of make your opponent play in a certain way. Like that's a big part of the, uh, you know, the psychology of this as well. Like you mentioned the no prisoners thing there, and that's a very, you know, a very common thing, right? You know, you can take no prisoners and your opponent can recognize they can hide and then not let you kill anything. And even if you just go even on everything else, if you're not scoring no prisoners and they're getting even a five on banners, sometimes it just makes the game very hard to play. So I think you sort of identified that really well there. And it's good to hear that you, know, you were able to kind of pick those uh, not, not so off the wall secondaries, like they're, they're, not really, they're not really sort of they're not strange, but it's probably not what the army played in the other seven games I can imagine. <laughs> nope. I think this is the only game that I took in Cajun. And I think it might have been the only I think I maybe I took both one other game. But I didn't take both often at all. and I didn't take in cage ever. Uh, I just the other, changed yeah, oh. the plan for this one. The only other thing I was going to ask about was your strat reserves. I think you said you had two Reapers in strat reserve. Did you feel like that was right? Again, this is one of those things where, like, if your opponent has that sense of ruin and they're blocking stuff out, one of the great things about arcs is that you can put lots of stuff in, in strat reserve for free now and try and get angles and things like that with with shooting armies. Did you feel like that was the right play? Like, It sounded like you got lines of shooting with almost everything, every. Uh, every turn, right? So it's not like you sort of missed any shooting, but did you feel like there was an opportunity to get stuff in um, to more advantageous positions had you reserved something different, or were you, were you pretty happy with how that went? I was happy with the, how they reserved. The way the game ended up playing, I wish that I had brought the Gladiators in turn two instead of turn three. Um, yeah, okay. Because what ended up happening was that, uh, and I, you know, again, you don't really realize your opponent's game plan sometimes until you get there. Uh, but you can actually go watch on stream. It's pretty funny. Uh, Steven's game plan was to put 10 Terminators on the objective like that's right outside his deployment zone, leave a Deathwing command squad on the one in his deployment zone, put 20 Terminators and the characters on the center objective. That was his and 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 just park and score points. And that's his game plan. And there's about two turns where my turn one and my turn two, you can see me like moving and pre-measuring being like, all right, he can move five. He can then declare a charge at 12 at 17. If he heals a model, he can get two inches. Then the width of his base. So if I'm 20. You know, if I'm 20.5 inches away from the Terminators and I kill one, he still can't declare the charge. And I'm doing a bunch of math like that. And then Steven just advances his Terminators onto the center and doesn't even try to charge anything, even though he has like five and six inch charges into a couple of skirmishing units that are left out as bait. He was 
was very single-minded in his focus. And, and let's be clear, that's not an insult. That's exactly what he had to do to win the game. And I was, I think, trying to keep my distance and shoot him so that he couldn't get charges. When in all honesty, I should have put the gladiators forward on turn two so that it's like, yep, if you want to come charge me, you have to declare it. It's going to be minus two. Yeah, you could make it. You could also fail it and you'll be in the open if you fail it. And if you hit it, I'll make sure that I'm not near light cover because I just choose where I am from reserves. So if you hit it, then you're in the open, not near light cover. I get to shoot you and suddenly you're taking scrapes instead of two ups from the other two gladiator reapers. And that's fine for me. And so I think I needed to put even juice your bait to draw him out and therefore put the things in earlier, uh, earlier. So on turn two, um, I didn't, I, I had firing lanes for everything on the table, but the way it worked out, I wouldn't have fired the other gladiators if they'd started on the table. Uh, I just like had exactly enough, you know, like the gladiator could see one guy. He was the first guy to die. Okay. The next gladiator wouldn't have shot, et cetera. Um, yeah. so I think that me putting them in reserves was the right call, especially because on this mission, uh, his table edge is the, the far side. So I can outflank on three really good sides and get angles. And that that did help a lot. I think having the reserves was important. But I think I think it should just should have just brought them in turn two. And if they were too close and you tried to come charge me, then at least I get to shoot them not in my cover. John, yeah. over the course of the weekend, what would you say was your MVP and what unit is on the chopping block? Um, okay, so MVP for me, um, I hate to see, oh man. See, like the van vets were one of my best things. Um because they they did really good work and they got um but then they also like w- they didn't work on the one time i needed it most which was the dark angel game they they underperformed a little bit um so i think they're they're not on the chopping block though uh, my mvp is probably going to end up being um I'm, I'm still going to say the van bets they one rough outing does not take away from the fact that they were awesome in providing another dimension to the army which was extremely important um, so I think that the Van Vets are, I'm going to give MVP on the basis of a least cuttable unit. Okay. Because the Van nice. Vets were important to letting the rest of the army function. Um, and if I'm going for chopping block, I'm going to be honest here. There's two things on the chopping block. One of them is the third gladiator reaper. Um, hmm. he was not supposed to be in the list, but he snuck in and, uh, and I'll explain that in a second. And, uh, then the, um, uh, the drop pod, not the devastators, the devastators were fine. They can stay. The drop pot, I think, can get cut. Huh. Why's, why's that? It's because the free strategic reserves and the fact that I never want to use the drop pot on turn one. Oh. Like, uh, and this was at least on player place terrain, and, I, and I'm looking at it through that lens. With player place terrain, you can usually set up in your deployment zones that you don't get alpha struck. Yeah. And I don't want to expose the pod by itself because a pod by itself is good damage, but it's not just what I want to do. Um, the way that the army practically works with its CP expenditure, I don't want to spend CP on the Devastators. I don't want to spend CP on the sixes, the wound, or double wounds in shooting. That's genuinely not the best value you can get out of Iron Hands. So I don't I don't spend it there. Um, and then the drop pod, I just it, I had to play weird with it sometimes because I was petrified of the what if my opponent manages to tag the drop pod and just, oh no, I can't shoot them with any of the guns. I hope my Van Vets solve this problem. And yeah. so I just really wasn't comfortable with the pod and I put it in because, uh, I, well, I just did, but, um, I want to say I would have rather had a rhino than a pod. And I think I would have rather had 70 points of something else or however much drop pod costs. I don't really remember. And just have those devastators either walking around the table or, um, arriving from reserves. And honestly, I had multiple games where I actually started the devastators on the table and I put one in the pod instead of two because I just, I had to put something in there because of Arc Zoman no longer allows you to kill an empty transport. 
I had multiple games where if I had the option, I would have killed the drop pod and reserves empty. <laughs> and because I was just like, I was like, I don't actually want my devs there. And I think the strategic reserves being free and me never wanting to shoot them on turn one because I just don't play the army like an alpha strike. Um, I, I just don't think that the pod really was very valuable for me. Well, Soli, what don't you got? What don't you got for us? Well, I was going to unpack the whole drop pod thing in part two. So you've just gone and you've stolen part oh, of my content, oh, Blake. I'm, uh, I'm so disappointed. Later, I've got a lot more to say about the pod. Got a lot of things well, to say. I, I, I think there's, yeah, there's a few matchups we'll talk about where the pod is uh, a bit scary to have in your army. I think John's already kind of alluded to the fact that if your opponent touches it, you're like you're really hoping your Vanguard vets are free to go and solve that problem. Um, no, look, I, I think you've given us a really uh, astute and fair, um, you know, assessment of that game and uh, of the list matchup. Um, if you said, I, I know you sort of like sort of asked this earlier, if you were going to, well, let's just say like the LVO you know, big tournament that you really care about tomorrow when you were going to play Marines, do what, what, what Marine faction do you think is best? Because I think there's a few different, you know, I, I guess moving parts here where the DA list like this is super tanky, but there's obviously some things that beat it. The iron hands list obviously has problems with stuff that can tank the shooting like wh- wh- which marine faction do you think is best right now in a like a a, a singles format you know if you were going to go play a you know an eight round event tomorrow yeah so singles format i think iron hands is still the best um and i say that having literally just lost to dark angels yep i know um so I, i've got i've got a couple uh, I, I know, i'll go on i'll go on all day about this so where I think that we end up with that is that Iron Hands still do the mixed best, where they do all you know shooting with a splash of combat better than anyone else. Um, Ultramarines are a very close second, and I've uh, again you know maybe I'll be on a podcast a little bit uh, talking about the Ultramarines later. I don't want to do too much of them here, uh, unless you want me to. For but Peter, I think that um, I think that Dark Angels are just really well positioned for the early arcs meta because the the early arcs meta was, oh man, everyone has free warrior. Wow, it's so efficient. Everyone, you know, guard is out for the like for real for the first time. Because at least in the United States, they weren't actually out. They were soft out. We all knew the rules, but we couldn't play them anywhere. Um and so we had like a, a weird thing where we got arcs and everyone could take double of whatever slot they normally weren't taking double of, you know, they you could actually take six heavy supports or six fast attacks. And so everyone started building the lists and it, again me as well. Um, for efficiency and it's like instead of options and toolbox and all the things that I like if you ask me I know the right answer is oh you know always build in options and play and a toolbox and I was like oh you can just be so efficient what could be more efficient than this and I got I got a little bit lost in the sauce the, the lure of math and just you know multiple heavy supports kind of lured me in and so I ended up um, taking a list that was designed for efficiency and the dark angel list counters that and the Dark Angel list hates it when people are like, yeah, you know, I'm not the most efficient thing, but I've got three mortals here and D3 here and three mortals here. And well, I, you know, I've got this weird cheeky play to set up turn off invulns. I've got this weird cheeky thing to minus two to your pile and moves or to half your movement. And all these weird cheeky things that like aren't tangible damage are so good into Dark Angels. But I think that the meta and especially, you know, at uh, a player place terrain event like Frontline, it's very easy for those efficiency armies to rise to the top because all those cheeky armies that like are like, Ooh, I'm going to have like a half move play here and splash mortals in all these different places. Those armies get dunked by iron hands. Yeah. Like all your, like your, your good demon armies. Cause like, I actually think demons have a favorable matchup into this Terminator list 
but I think demons get dunked on by Iron Hands. Yeah, I, I hate the gladiators. I, I, yeah, I just can't really interact I, with them. I yeah. played against demons with uh, with it, and me having an, a wall of infiltrators. And it was the scouring, but it didn't matter. Um, yeah. I had a wall of infiltrators, and I had three gladiator reapers, and I had fast land speeders poking through terrain, and it was very bad. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I've yeah I've played it once, and I, the infiltrators aren't actually a problem. I think with the modern demon armies, there's a lot of fast moving stuff. But the thing is, you you crash through that, and then you still don't deal with the gladiators, and you kill the other stuff, and you still don't deal with the gladiators. And then all of a sudden, all of your troops are dead, and you've got one monster running around trying to kill everything, and you just can't do it in five turns. It's uh it's very scary. Yeah, the, the um, infiltrators I think are a little scarier in Iron Hand than. And elsewhere because they can pop the five up female painting. Yeah, absolutely. And so in this in this allegory, um, I guess the Iron Hands are the Arkansas Razorbacks, and the demons are the Texas A&M Aggies, and they're getting dunked on as they're about to get dunked on in about two hours. Oh, Blake, you you've got enough time to edit this out after the truth comes out. <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm sorry, but you said words, and I don't know what you're saying. Well, we'll explain it to you on the break here. Thanks for joining us, John. I am very glad that you're on for the third time. And you, you, I hope, I hope you're not the fourth, but maybe you will be. And I'll get you a little pin for a four, Pete. Yeah, you know, I just, I just need, I just, you need to give me multiple L pins. Each pin has to just have like a little L on it. And every time I'm on a podcast, you just hand me one more. It's a little more elaborate every time. Yeah, I like, I like that idea. Um, All right, we'll, we'll get you back on after WTC, mate. Join us for oh, oh, no, no, no. Matt, I'll be the host, man. You're going to be our honored guest. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Make sure to check our other podcast. We have the very, very vanilla Art of War with Nick Natavati. And, of course, the very Australian, very down under, Australian down under with the late and great Adam Camilleri, we, of course, are the Art of War of Pistachio, the flavor you didn't know you loved till you tried us. Thanks for listening, and join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network, theartofwar40k.com. 